Bienvenidos a la Deliosa. Soy Enrique Barrenes y presidente es mejor cerveza. No abate por No Filter Network. Miguelito San Diego, a.k.a. Bobby Ball, a.k.a. Bobby Barrels, as he's known in Savannah. Not with us today, but dead or alive, job or no job. You know, we're going to come on here and properly salute our boy. Yes, 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 yes. Woo. Remember this, folks. When we are juiceful, we are useful. And when we are juiceless, we're useless. Simple as that. A very pleasant good morning to you on this gorgeous Friday, October the 6th, twenty. 23 on this day in 2010 by the way Roy Holiday pitched the second no-hitter in postseason history leading the Philadelphia Phillies over the Cincinnati Reds for nothing in game one of the NL division series Holiday allowed one walk to Jay Bruce with two outs in the fifth and struck out Eight. Sadly, we lost Roy in 2017 when the plane he was piloting tragically crashed in Florida. This was one of those I remember when things. And man, a contemporary of mine, somebody that I competed against, somebody I had a tremendous amount of respect for somebody I had just seen uh, pretty much right before that. I guess it was the winter before, but he was at the Pebble Beach golf tournament that we all used to play. And I didn't spend a ton of time with him. He actually seemed like a pretty quiet guy and I didn't want to, I don't know, I just say disturb him, whatever, but had cool, really cool, just let's call it casual conversation, bullshit and whatever. But he was just one of those guys that had that presence about him that was special. And grateful to be able to spend just a little bit of time with him before he passed. Obviously, really, really sad. He was flying this plane. And the plane is, I mean, it literally looked like something that you put together. It was really cool. And uh, I don't know if he was performing these aerial tricks or whatever it was, but he ended up, I, I read a little bit about it last night before I, I put this in here. And they were saying that he had shot up and for whatever reason, the plane stalled, boom, slammed into the water. I was... Check it out, his kid. And as of, I guess, 2021, he was still playing baseball. He had signed to go play at Penn State and then left to go back home to go to JC. And I don't know uh, about the progress now at this point, but a lot of love to Roy Holiday and just thinking about him on this day in which he threw the second no-hitter in postseason history. So the first one 
you got to imagine was Don Larson, right? It was a perfect game. So I'm just sort of surprised that there haven't been more in the postseason, especially because you're going to run with your horses then. This isn't like you're pulling them out to save them for the next outing. All right. Uh, by the way, yeah, now I wrote here in the electronic email communication this morning that I sent out. Of all the Hall of Fame pitchers that I faced, including Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Pedro Martinez, Halliday was by far the most difficult for me to hit. He had that mid-90s bowling ball sinker. And then he had the wipeout slider. So basically imagine a ball or a taco coming in at you. And as it's coming in and you're a right-handed hitter, and this thing goes, and it dives, say, back into me. Well, on the same token, he'd throw that same ball, and it come like this, and it would dive away. The sharp movements coming out of the same slot, I believe, is what made him so difficult to hit. Now, when it came to, say, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Pedro Martinez, with Randy, I was never going to come off the fastball. Just wasn't going to do it. So I had one real epic battle with Randy uh, during spring training. It was awesome. It ended up being like a 10-pitch at bat, but I took him deep foul, and then he threw the next one at my head. And obviously, I, I was pissed, and... We went through the course he had bat. Chad Muller was a catcher I'd play with in the Dominican. And Chad looked at me right after he threw up my head. He's like, Bernsey, you know that's not me, right? Randy's going to do what Randy's going to do. I'm like, yeah, man, I got you. Well, the at-bat ended up going to about 10 pitches. He threw a split-finger fastball that he got me on. And at the time, I was just coming up with the A's when he was this Hall of Fame pitcher already. And he's like, shut the F down. And it was funny because I turned him. I'm like, dude, what'd you say? And then he just walked off the field. But it was a great lesson right then as to why and how he is one of the greatest of all times. Now, beyond being just a physical specimen, here he was in a spring training game, and let's call it his 15th year in the big leagues, facing a nobody. And he took the fact that I took him deep foul, like way deep, personal. And sort of like Tom Brady, and I've talked about this a lot, finding that extra motivation, whether it was his detractors saying that he was too old or deflate gate or whatever it is each year, Tom would find something to be able to go back out there and kick ass. And so Randy was the same way. Greg Maddox I, of all of the hall of fame pitchers, he's the one guy I had really good numbers off. I can't explain it other than the fact that like I've mentioned with holiday where he would have this sinker that would dive down and in Maddox when I faced him, it was later in his career, but he would get that run that would come back into a right-hander. So don't get me wrong. It was 
difficult to hit, but it was sort of like a left-handed slider. So I think for that reason, I was able to square him up, call it luck, call it whatever you want. I don't really have too much of an explanation, but I did like hitting against him and the numbers actually say that. And then Pedro Martinez, look, the only way you were going to get Pedro is if Pedro let you get Pedro. Because if he executed his pitches, it's kind of really the same with all these guys. You weren't going to hit him. And he got me plenty. I got him a couple times. I remember one nice, clean base hit on a changeup towards the end of his career when he was pitching for the Mets. I do remember squaring one up, hitting one off the top of the wall. Uh, again, it's when he was with Boston still. So... Anyhow, I mean, looking back upon that, what a cool opportunity, right? To be able to hit off these guys that are you know, forever enshrined in Cooperstown. And more importantly, I really don't care about that. What was so cool was being able to hit off the best of the best at the top of their game for what they did. Whatever, like, I think that should be a goal for any of us in life is what's the penultimate? If you were to ask me, that's getting an opportunity to take whatever it is that you've been training for, whatever you've been doing, and then challenge that against the absolute best in the world. And so I bring up my pickleball game. I'm probably not there yet, but man, I'd love to see what the best of the best look like as I continue to progress. I'm actually the best of the best of Mars camp here where it's really a different league right now, but that's a special experience. I think no matter what we do in life and no matter what our hobby vocation uh, skill craft is, that should be the goal. To get your game to the point where you have that opportunity. That was what was so awesome about playing professional baseball. Daily Hustle quote of the day. No man ever steps in the same river twice. For it's not the same river. And he's not the same man. Daily Hustle translation here. The one constant in life that reminds us that we are still L-I-V-I-N is change. Our environment, the people within our environment, and we as individuals are consistently changing. By recognizing this, we are able to hold ourselves accountable to change for the better while making sure we surround ourselves with places, people, and things that add value to our lives. Pretty simple. Our ability to embrace change, to acknowledge change, to be okay with change is what is going to make sure that we are at least holding ourselves accountable to change for the better. Because if you know change is going to happen and change is going to happen one way or another, we then need to step back and think to ourselves, okay, 
what can we do to make sure that this goes the right direction? Because it's not a given. Even if we think, hey, we're great people, we do great deeds, whatever. And it sort of starts with that great deed. But ultimately with this, we have to be thinking about the change and where we are going. So a lot of this, I think, can be explained with uh, who was Heraclitus. And this is where the quote comes from. He was an ancient Greek pre-Socratic philosopher. So that's before Socrates, right? Who lived in 500 BC. And he viewed the world as constantly in flux. Always becoming and never being. Huh. Think about that. Always becoming and never being. So often in philosophy, uh, we talk about being. We're human beings, right? We are not necessarily human becomings. But this is a really different way of looking at it because we are, the only time we'll ever have is, is the moment, the now, correct? But part of the state of being or all the state of being is actually becoming because the only thing we have is the present moment, the time, the now, but it's always taken us somewhere. And as human beings or human becomings, we've got to think about that. What's next. But the only way to prepare ourselves for the what's next is to live in the what's now. Oh, this is some deep shit, man. All right. So before I confuse myself anymore, uh, Heraclitus's overall focus was unifying opposites and embracing chains. Okay. The ALDS and NLDS series will start tomorrow, Saturday. Here are the latest odds and some personal commentary for my degenerate gambling population. Always willing to step back into the river, a new man. Odds to win the ALDS and NLDS. Los Angeles Dodgers, minus 205. That's bet $10 to win $14.88. Not a great return there. Very little upside. Way too much to lose facing a dangerous D-backs team. The Atlanta Braves are minus 170. So that's bet 10 to win $15.88. Now, although the Phillies are in fuego right now, the Braves are still the best team in baseball. There's no question about it. Lane 170, if you ask me, it's not a huge price to pay for the team that absolutely dominated the regular season. 104 wins, plus 231 run differential, and they finished a full 14 games above the team they're about to play. Ugh, I like the minus 170. Houston Astros, minus 160. Bet 10 to win 16.25. The Strohs got hot at the end of the season and somehow pulled out 
another AL West title. Alex Bregman had the quote of the year saying, a lot of people were wondering what it was going to be like if the Strohs didn't win the AL West. And then he said, I guess we'll never know as they pull off another one. Oh, I love Bregman. Uh, this just seems to be their time of year. Dusty Baker, the boys, they have something going on right in Houston. I will not bet against them at this point. All due respect to the Twinkies. Baltimore Orioles are minus 115. You bet 10 bucks to win 1870. Look, I love the olds. I love the youth. But they have no experience in the postseason. And it's a massive unknown factor. And it could be a blessing to them. Maybe it is. I got to see it. Brandon Hyde's never managed in the postseason. He's going up against a three-time World Series champion. Can the O's win this? Of course. But I really feel like this is more of a coin flip series. So if there is any value, it's on who? The Texas Rangers in Bruce Bochy. We trust. The Minnesota Twins are plus 135. That's bet 10 bucks to win 23.50. As far as I'm concerned, save your money there. Philadelphia Phillies plus 145. Bet 10 to win 24.50. Okay. It's possible the Phillies pull off the upset of the Braves. It's, it is possible, very. Plus 145? Yeah. I don't love it. It's not enough value. To see this massive upset happen. If they were plus 200, I'd say take them. That's why I like the Diamondbacks so much. And they're sitting at plus 175. There's value there. If the Diamondbacks take down the Dodgers, you should get rewarded as such. This needs to be like a two-to-one thing. It's just not enough value with Philadelphia. Definitely enough with Arizona. So, uh, the stories we wanted to get to today. Number one here is the Taylor Swift coverage too much. Travis Kelsey says that the coverage of the Taylor Swift at his games is, quote, overdoing it. In case you haven't heard, Taylor Swift has been attending some Kansas City Chiefs games lately, cheering on the Chiefs star tight end, Travis Kelsey. When Swift made a surprise appearance at the Chiefs-Bears game two weeks ago, Fox showed her laughing with Kelsey's Mom Donna in chest bumping a sweet mate after the Chiefs star scored a touchdown. When news leaked that Swift was preparing to attend this past weekend's Chiefs-Jets game in New Jersey, NBC pivoted to a Taylor Swift-themed marketing campaign with her song, Welcome to New York, becoming the star of a commercial spot. And once again, Swift was frequently pictured in the suite watching her rumored Bo play on a new episode of the new heights podcast which was published wednesday morning travis kelsey and his co-host his brother jason kelsey a star for the eagles agreed that this is all becoming a bit too much quote is the nfl overdoing it what is your honest opinion jason kelsey asked his brother this was travis's response i think everybody is just like overwhelmed Take away your feelings for Taylor, Jason added. What is your honest opinion on how the NFL is treating celebrities at the games? I think it's fun when they show who all is at the game, Travis replied. I think it brings a little more to the atmosphere. Brings a little more 
to what you're watching. But at the same time, they're overdoing it a bit, especially in my situation. The Chief Star noted that when it comes to celebrities at the games, from Swift to her sweetmates like Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman, they are not there to get thrown on TV. Okay, let's stop there. I get it, and I understand what Travis Kelsey is saying, but if they're not there to get thrown on TV, go ahead and go to the game like Kirk Cousins went to the Minnesota Twins game. Throw on a disguise. Of course they're there to get thrown on TV. Is that their number one priority? No, I don't think it is. I think these are people that live their lives in front of cameras. But I do believe that when you go to a game, whether it is an NBA game, whether it is an NFL game, whether it's an MLB game, and you're a celebrity, you have to be going there knowing a couple things. Number one, there's a good chance that people are going to come up to you and say, hey, whoa, Taylor Swift, Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman. And then the other thing is, they're going to put you on TV. And that's okay. That's the same reason why Taylor Swift gets all dudded out. They guys know. They have an idea. And I got to imagine that they're okay with it. Now, how far Fox or NBC wants to take it, that's up to them. It really is. I mean, I guess the only people that would be getting butthurt over this whole thing might be the players that feel like not enough attention is on the game. Now, Travis went on to say that I think the NFL is not used to celebrities coming to the games. There's no way. There's actually Jason said this. I disagree with that. Of course they're used to it. And if you ever go watch a Super Bowl, I guess Jason's been too busy playing them, but they show who's in the stands. He says basketball has figured it out. They're all courtside. They're sitting there. They show them once or twice, but then they get back to the game. The NFL is like, look at these A-list celebrities of the game. Show them. Show them. Yeah. Okay, what's the difference? The difference is in hoops. Number one, the game's not as long. So with an NFL game, you're dealing with a three, three and a half hour game. There's more time to continue to go back up to the booth and whatnot. Uh, the other element of all of this is that I don't care who you are. Spike, leave, and right going to all of the Knicks games over the years and all sorts of other celebrities that go to these NBA games and sit courtside, that's great. I'd be hard-pressed to find a celebrity as big as Taylor Swift right now. There just isn't. So when you're the number one international superstar, number one, like not even close, this is Michael Jackson in the mid to late 80s showing up at, at this, right? This is so next level. So, if you're in the television business and you're a producer, executive producer, you'd be crazy not to consistently go back there. And especially now that Taylor Swift is not just her and Donna Kelsey, but 
She's bringing Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. I mean, are you kidding? What an awesome opportunity to be able to show these people. And overall, you know what it does? It makes the product look better. It looks great for the NFL and everything else. So the Kelseys have gotten in on the action themselves. By the way, they're saying that Kelsey and Swift have become a bona fide media phenomenon, impacting resale prices of tickets and driving up ratings. The Kelseys have gotten in on the action themselves. This is too good. With Jason helping to place Jake from State Farm next to Donna Kelsey at this weekend's game. Oh, it's so good. So good. And I don't know what the relationship is with Jake from State Farm. But just the fact that he was there. So, with Donna Kelsey at Travis's games, is the number one international superstar pop icon Taylor Swift. And with Donna Kelsey at Jason's games, it's Jake from State Farm. God bless the Kelseys. God bless the NFL and God bless America. This is too good. All right. The next story I wanted to get to here. Really interesting one, by the way. ADHD. Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. Okay. This is something that I was diagnosed with as a kid. Had many issues just trying to stay in class. Basically self-medicated to the point where like no medication, nothing, right? For all of these years. And then I had to figure it out on my own, which I'm very grateful for my parents because I actually was prescribed coffee. This is before the Adderall and Ritalin or whatever else. And they understood that a stimulant would actually, I mean, maybe that's the reason why I drink, I don't know, 10 cups of coffee a day. But it does level me out. It helps with focus. It helps with concentration. So with the ADHD, I was able to figure out a way to find my focus, find my attention, And it wasn't really until I got a little bit older and I realized that if I wanted to stay in school and not flunk out, and if I wanted to go to St. Francis, and if I wanted to go to Stanford or UCLA, I was going to have to get my shit together. It was as simple as that. And so when you have these goals and visions of something that you want to do, then I think all of us as human beings, we... We'll figure out a way to get it done. So, I like to think I did. Now, for a long time, there's been a correlation between ADHD and anger. And I think back to when I was a kid, and I think that was very real. There unquestionably was a correlation there. I would get very upset whether I would strike out on the baseball field or I would lose a tennis match. Maybe it was something with my sister. I would get angry. And then as you go through the professional ranks of baseball, I think 
you deal with failure so much that you learn how to channel that energy and use it as productive. Does it mean you're not getting angry? No. I just feel like you learn how to manage your anger. So regardless, there's a direct correlation here in what they're saying. They're saying emotional dysregulation, difficulty managing emotions is part of living with ADHD for both adults and children. Studies have shown about 70% of those with ADHD are likely to feel more impatient than those without ADHD. Impatient, yes, still am. They also may feel frustration, more frustration with those without ADHD. Adults and children with ADHD are more likely to have angry outbursts, feel impatient, defy authority, be irritable, experience conflict, be more excitable, feel emotions more intensely, and deal with stress and anxiety. Okay. Uh, because ADHD affects impulse control, it can impact emotional responses like anger. This may include people with ADHD having difficulty regulating responses to frustration and impatience, controlling emotions, regulating anger and angry responses, and speaking before thinking. All things I've dealt with in the past. People with ADHD can also feel overwhelmed by things like daily responsibilities, time management. Yeah, a little bit of an issue. Relationship difficulties. Yeah, I don't know. And stimulating environments. I like stimulating environments. This can create frustration, which is linked to outbursts and irritability. A 2017 Yale review found that the majority of ADHD medications do not increase irritability however amphetamines derived medications named adderall can increase the chances of irritability so it says what can trigger anger and how can you manage it and i think this is the big reason why i bring this up it's just figuring out whether you have adhd or not i think this is an anger management article that can help all of us because at some point we all do get irritable frustrated and the fuse gets shorter and shorter and shorter, especially those of us who have kids. So it says here, uh, for people with ADHD, triggers for anger can include being overstimulated, being in an overstimulated environment, being interrupted, having to switch tasks, rejection, frustration with organization and time management, relationship issues, authority figures, restlessness, fatigue, and emotionally charge situations and stress many techniques could help people with adhd manage anger all right here we go cognitive behavioral therapy this is a form of psychotherapy focusing on the thoughts that drive behavior cbt could help people with adhd label and better manage emotions okay that's just becoming more aware of what's going on number two mindfulness i'm all in on this i literally like four or five times a day the practice includes being present and aware of emotions and letting them pass without immediate judgment studies have found that mindfulness can help people with adhd control their emotions including children as young as seven spend 10 minutes a day listening to the daily calm meditation app that's it and i you'll be shocked because the 10 is going to turn into an hour plus a day i cherish that time, yeah, a lot of it is before I go to bed or in the middle of the night when I wake up, but it's still carving out that time that just slows everything down and allows me to stay in the moment. 
sleeping regularly, getting enough sleep and keeping a set sleep schedule can help manage anger and lower chances of an outburst. Exercise. Shocker. Research indicates that exercise can help with regulating negative emotions and reactions. Meditation. This is the same sort of thing as a mindfulness, right? The set of mental techniques is used to train attention and awareness as well as improve relaxation. Breathing deeply. It's probably number one. The more you think about it, because this is the only one that you could stop whatever you're doing, whenever you're doing it. Feel the air pass through your nostrils. Out your mouth. Let's go. Three in. Hold. Six seconds out. I'm dialed. All right. Social skills therapy. Working on it. We're with a therapist who understands the social impact of ADHD can manage emotions and conflict being open to learning social skills while seeing social setbacks and learning opportunities can also help with ADHD related irritation. So look, no matter if you've been diagnosed with ADHD, you have it, you don't, I, I can hear, I've heard a lot of people say that I mean, we, look we all have it in some capacity i do believe i think others are more extreme i do feel that it's up to us to try to manage it though and i don't think that it's a crutch or it's an excuse whether it's an outburst of anger or you being an asshole or any of it it's something that you have to learn how to deal with. And I think a lot of it is just some of us are more excitable and we're built different. Now they've labeled this, whatever it is, and you could take the label, but that's fine. It's still ultimately at the end of the day about being a good human. And part of being a good human is not having these over emotional, crazy, reactional, outlandish outbursts of anger. It's something that we have to, once again, come to peace with ourselves, who we are, what we do, all of it. At the end of the day, just do the right thing. That's it. Okay, the best college football and NFL weekend matchups are here. As far as college is concerned, here's a athletic article. And Bruce Feldman, his picks, apparently he went four and six against a spread. To drop him three over 500 for the season. So he's been pretty good. So here are his big games for the weekend and his picks. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, Dylan Gabriel in the Sooners passing game will give Texas their secondary a much tougher test than it's gotten in the season's first five weeks. But the Longhorns front seven is good enough to cover for any back end issues. And the Longhorns should be able to wear down Oklahoma in the second half. So it's Texas minus six and a half against Oklahoma for the Red River rivalry. Bruce's pick is Texas 
Minus six and a half at 35-24 prediction. Maryland at number four, Ohio State. This game is at noon on Fox. The Terps defense has been formidable even after losing two excellent corners to the NFL in Deontay Banks and Jacorian Bennett. But now they'll face an explosive Ohio State attack that I have a hunch is ready to show what it can be at its best. Ohio State 45, Maryland 20 is a prediction saying that Ohio State's going to cover the 20 and a half. LSU number 23 against number 21, Missouri. This should be a good one. It's Missouri. Let's see. LSU minus five and a half. LSU's defense has struggled mightily and Missouri's receivers have been superb. Still, I have a feeling that quarterback Jaden Daniels carries the visiting Tigers to a much-needed win to keep the season from falling apart in Baton Rouge. Huh. Uh, The pick, though, is Missouri. Thank you, Bruce, for that. LSU 35-31 is the prediction. How about number 13, Washington State? Taking on UCLA at UCLA, 3 p.m. game on Pac-12 Network. I didn't even know that still existed. Wazoo quarterback Cameron Ward and his receivers have been on fire this season, but now they face a much-improved Bruins defense with a good pass rush. Expect some big strides from UCLA freshman quarterback Dante Moore after a shaky outing against Utah's defense two weeks ago. The prediction here, UCLA 30, Washington State 23, saying that UCLA covers the minus three and a half number 20 Kentucky at number one Georgia Georgia's minus 14 and a half it says I know the Bulldogs have looked shaky at times this season especially in the first half but I expect them to play their best game of the season against a Kentucky team that has been really tough on the run the Wildcats coming to Athens after thumping Florida which means they're going to get a very dial in Georgia team I agree with that there's something to be said they're not sneaking up on anybody anymore i mean kentucky's legit you just wax florida so again you also just had georgia get taken to the brink i love georgia in this game i see him run away with it how about number 10 notre dame they're minus six and a half at louisville notre dame's got to play the toughest schedule in the country I mean, it's great. Every single week, they have another undefeated team. Louisville quarterback Jake Plummer. Excuse me, it's not Jake Plummer. That's Jack Plummer. But if you're wondering about Jake Plummer, guy's been killing it on podcasts and he's selling shrimps. So if you're looking for any hallucinogenics, go ahead and look Jake up. This is his thing, the umbo. Look at this. WW wgetumbo.com go see jake there i give him a shout man there's a good dude uh by the way heading to arizona today asu and boulder on saturday hopefully dion's gonna be okay because i guess he missed some scheduled interviews or whatever he was supposed to be at because of health concerns so hoping he's all right heading down there for a baseball tournament and just so happen to be uh, having the opportunity, just the way the schedule worked out, to go to that ASU Boulder game, which we're freaking fired up for. 
Can't wait to see Primetime uh, and his kid in action. So, anyhow, uh, right here it says he's averaging 300 yards passing. This is Jack Plummer, not Jake. But Notre Dame is showing it can be very tough against the passing. Irish will be by far the best team the Cardinals have played, and they are battle-tested. That's to say the least. I, I mean, Notre Dame is just, that's beyond battle-tested. I did this team every single week, every single week, they're in a fight. And it's, you know, ultimately you got to look at that at the end of the year. If you're the college football bowl committee, they, they've, they've, they've shown some grit and they've pulled out some fantastic uh, victories. The one loss I guess was geez. SC. Is that right? I don't know. I think so. Uh, Arkansas, number 16, Ole Miss. Will there be a hangover in Oxford from the Rebels' win over LSU? Maybe for a while, but Ole Miss is explosive enough to hit some big plays. They'll break the game open in the second half against an Arkansas team that comes in having dropped three in a row. Prediction here is Ole Miss 45-31. The line in this game is Ole Miss minus 11. Uh, two more here for you at Georgia Tech at number 17, Miami. Uh, it's Miami minus 20 and a half, and that is the pick. And then Feldman's, thank you, Bruce, the upset special. Number 11, Alabama at Texas A&M. And it's Texas A&M plus one and a half. So... You got the Aggies at home. I've been to that stadium. 110,000 people going nuts. Alabama's Alabama. They're okay. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if they continue to get better. I I don't know. I the, the, You got to be able to throw the football. And I, Alabama has not yet proven that. All right. We're getting to the end of the show here. Uh, the NFL... By the way, some fantastic matchups coming up this weekend, including Buffalo in London going up against the Jags. Buffalo's minus five and a half. Giuseppe Pepe Manuele likes the Bills. I don't know. Obviously, I'm a huge Bills fan. How are they going to react to the time zone difference? He made a really good point. It's not like you're going that far. It's basically the same distance as California to New York, and you're going back the other way, so it's like a West Coast team going to the East Coast. Now, Jacksonville has the benefit of being there for two weeks now. Now, they got throttled last week in London. So, we'll see what happens there, but if the Bills go out there and play their game, that's, you know, top two, three team in the NFL. The other game that everyone's going to be focused on, the Dallas Cowboys versus San Francisco 49ers. This one is the Sunday night game, 8.20 p.m. Eastern time at Levi Stadium. Cowboys are plus three and a half, plus 150 on the money line. Giuseppe Pepe Manuele likes the Cowboys. Look, can the Cowboys win this game? Yeah, as a matter of fact, analytics say they have a 45% chance of winning this game. I just don't see it happening. I don't. I San Francisco's playing too well. They're firing on all cylinders. Their defense has been great. Their offense has been fantastic. So I'm not uh, on board with that. Now, you could take the points. That would be an interesting way to do it. 
Plus 150 on the money line. That's, that's a real deal, though. Uh, another game to look at, Philadelphia Eagles against the Rams at SoFi in Inglewood. It's the Eagles minus four and a half. Yeah. I don't love that. Man. If anything, I'd take the Rams plus four and a half at home. And then a lot of people, for whatever reason, picking the Pittsburgh Steelers to beat the Ravens. It's Ravens minus four and a half in Pittsburgh. That'd be another one to go ahead and grab the points. And uh, lastly, here are the Houston Texans versus the Atlanta Falcons. This is in Atlanta. And the Texans are plus one and a half playing the best football that they've played in a long time. This Texans team is for real. So look out for that one. I like Texas. All right. Of all the shows, this has certainly been one of them. Off to AZ, but not without leaving you guys with a little James Allen for the weekend. Calmness of mind is one of the most beautiful jewels of wisdom. It is a result of long and patient effort and self-control. Its presence is an indication of ripened experience and of a more than ordinary knowledge of the laws and operations of thought. A man becomes calm in the measure that he understands himself as a thought-evolved being. For such knowledge necessitates the understanding of others as a result of thought. And as he des- as he develops a right understanding and sees more and more clearly the internal relations of things by the, the action of cause and effect, he ceases to fuss and fume and worry and grieve and remains poised, steadfast, serene. <sighs> he just... Puts me on the right track each and every single day. Michelle, have a fantastic weekend. And Aldo, what is up, Aldo? Thanks for joining. John Emmanuel Ramos, Henderson, Amo, Buckwheat, rest of the Daily Hustle crowd. Love you guys. See you Monday. Have a awesome, awesome weekend. That's it. 